Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. Military Corner. Army selects SIG 300 Win Mag sniper ammunition. Militaries have long history of relying on civilian shooting world to spearhead its innovation when it comes to calibers. 5.56 began life as a 222 Remington 9mm blah 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 blah. So they're going to be shooting this bad dude in the Mod 0 and the Mod 1 MK248. Then SHOT Show. Deep penetrating 380 hollow point. Federal ammunition will display its new expanding 380 auto ammunition, which the bullet maker pledges to be the first of its kind to consistently meet FBI protocol recommendation for penetrating at least 12 inches through bare ballistic gelatin. Yeah. Shot shows this week. I wish I was going. Marines to get new lightweight polymer ammo for Mod Deuce machine gun. Marine Corps inked a $10 million contract with ammunition maker M- Mac LLC for a new lightweight polymer machine gun ammunition, a major step towards his effort to lighten Marine battlefield load. Um, that would be pretty fucking amazing if you think about it. Because that shit's fucking heavy. Marines will assess the ammo to increase familiarity and validity of the polymer rounds during an operational validation schedule in third quarter of 2021. Program official estimated fielding will begin in fiscal year 2022. The Marine M2 Browning 50 caliber machine gun known officially in Ma Deuce takes 50 BMG cartridges and can fire over 600 rounds per minute. Guns.com reported last April that the Marine Corps planned to buy about 2.4 million rounds of max polymer ammo. That'll be fucking cool. Army, on the other hand, cancels $45 billion Bradley replacement competition after only one bid qualified. It could have been a second, but they couldn't ship the vehicle. That kind of sucks. ISIS, very own Jabba the Hutt, captured in Mosul. Look online. Sweet God, he looks just like Jabba the Hutt. 11 U.S. troops injured in Iranian missile attack, even though they said nobody was injured. And that makes me just really kind of question some shit. I'm just throwing it out there. That's pretty fucked up. Who the fuck reported what? Why? And... This is what gives liberals their fucking, you can't trust the military shit, because you don't report the truth. Marines are going to be upgrading their emergency signal devices. I guess part of that crash where we lost a lot of guys off the coast was because they couldn't find the people. So they're going to get new personal vests with locators 
Guess the ones they have suck. Space Force offers first peak a camouflage uniform. The official Twitter account, the month-old military service, posted a teaser, teaser, and they're using already procured multicam uniforms. So Aaron Rupar, a journalist from Vox, that is air quoted, Trump's Space Force troops wearing camo in space is perhaps the strongest evidence yet that idiocracy is a documentary. See, they don't know anything about anything. You clearly know nothing about how the military supplies the branches. Aaron here is demonstrating how, despite describing herself as a journalist, he did zero research into why Space Force has the current uniform. It also shows he did zero research on how long it takes the DOD to design, test, and improve new uniforms. United States Space Force decided to get out there and crush all these liberal tards. USSF is utilizing current Army Air Force uniforms, saving cost of design, producing a new one. Members will look like their joint counterparts to be working with on the ground. Aaron getting thousands of retweets or painful, stupid, and uninformed takes is much stronger evidence of the idiocracy than is a documentary. Political activists who work in journalism are getting dumber. Rather, you'd rather the government spend more money designing and manufacturing new uniforms, or would you complain about that too? Can you do anything other than complain? How about coming up with some simple, creative solutions to the problems facing societies today? Think while you can. More importantly, did Glenn walk around on planet Earth in a fucking space suit? I don't think he did. In fact, I'm pretty sure he didn't. You fucking tard. You are college crazy. Oh, this is this is a good soundbite. I'm Kevin Phillips at Campus Reform. A new poll came out this week showing fewer young Americans than ever say America is the greatest country on earth. We're here at Georgetown University getting students' opinions firsthand. Do you think that the US is the greatest in the world? It's awful. America is awful. Yeah, it is. In what way? Racism. It's not the greatest country in the world. I don't necessarily think that the United States um, is the greatest country in the world. Currently with political climate, I would say it's not the greatest country in the world. One of them, not the greatest. Um, I wouldn't say it's the greatest country in the world, but I wouldn't say like you can really name any country to be that way. Yes, but barely at this point. America's not great, and we treat immigrants like so that's a thing too. Got it. In what way? In trying to stop them from getting jobs or trying to depart, deport families. I think it's definitely current administration issues, mm-hmm. um, but also just a history of America thinking that we're the best and so we kind of give ourselves the liberty to do whatever we want. If America was to find a way to allow everyone to have better access in a sense, I think that they would go up. Access to what? Access to like everything, whether that be like... Um, like just instilling them i think access comes from like knowledge a lot of times like there's not enough knowledge what would you say is the greatest country in the world if not america no country one has to be the best or better than others in your opinion no not at all first thing that comes to mind is like climate problems as well as we're standing in this like really weird weather um so countries that are really helping with that are countries like paris and like a lot of european countries countries like Paris. Countries sort of in like Norway and Finland have the greatest happiness due to like sort of tending to those lower 
um, communities of lower income and minority populations that are often neglected here. I don't know. I think it's hard to like say one thing is the greatest because everything has so many different characteristics. Got it. But definitely it's not America. France, England, and the U.S. So if America is awful, where would you view as, as a better place to live? The ocean. Where did you form your opinion on America? I formed most of my opinion in school. Is American exceptionalism uh, a term and a concept that you've been taught uh, here on campus in class? Not at all. Did you, do you know what American exceptionalism is? Not at all. Well, I haven't really had any classes that have sort of instilled that. I think it definitely depends on the professor, but uh, for the most part, I would say that they don't think America is the greatest. Is American exceptionalism uh, a phrase that has been taught to you or a concept that's been taught to you in your classes uh, here on campus? No, I wouldn't say so. Is it a phrase you're familiar with? You know, yes, but I don't think it's been like any, a core part of anything academic or in classes. We all learn in middle and high school that America is supposed to be like this, the greatest country in the world, but you come here to learn other ways of thinking and ways of thinking maybe it isn't. Do you think the United States is the greatest in the world? Yes. And why is that? Because um, we're free, we have freedom of speech, freedom of choice, we don't live in under oppressing government, um, and we're allowed to do what we want. Oh, well hello there. I'm Cabot Phillips with Campus Reform. Thanks so much for watching. If you want to join our team, we're always looking for new investigators, correspondents, and tipsters. Click right here to learn more about that. If you want to donate to help us make more videos like the one you just saw, click that button there. And if you want to be among the first person to see all of our new content, click that subscribe button right over there. Thanks so much. Hey, I, I, didn't, I didn't hear you click anything. Um, did they click one yet? Do you, are you even surprised they think America's not a great place? Nah, I'm not. It's pushed on their heads. Middle schooler threatened with suspension over Virginity Rock sweatshirt. And this is brought to you by my better half, Gigi. Thanks, Gigi. I did not see this one. 11th grader London Pigoski said she was told by her social study teacher to turn the hoodie inside out or take it off or else they would have to take action. The Wetsville School District dress code prohibits clothing that promote immoral, illegal, sexual, or violent behavior. None of which applies to Pigoski's sweatshirt. Pigoski was threatened with suspension if she wore the hoodie at school again. I didn't think this was bad, so whenever they told me to take it off, I was like, why? I'm taking this off because it's a positive message, he said. Pogoski's father said that the message would be in line with school sex ed policy. Therefore, it didn't make sense for it to be considered immoral. This is a message saying, you know, there's good with being virgins, I guess. You know, no sex. So... I'm a dad. I'm fucking down with that shit. Pogoski's friend Davis, who brought him the sweatshirt, said the hoodie was proving very unpopular amongst other kids at the school. We're asking him if they could buy one. The district policy regarding student dress provides opportunity for administrators to address student attire that's potentially disruptive to an educational environment. We routinely have our conversations with students around attire that may be inappropriate and by any larger student and family work with our staff to address any concerns. Meanwhile, a nurse was canceled and harassed by a hate mob who tried to get her fired if she suggested that young people should avoid STDs by not having premarital promiscuous sex. Why am I covering it? Well, if the kid was wearing a PPFA shirt they wouldn't say a word not a word nothing would be said it would be just okadoki on a joke teacher of the year kneels during anthem at college football championship 
Kelly Holstein said she did so to stand up for marginalized people. During a ceremony on the 2019 Teacher of the Year, one in particular stood out, the honoree from Minnesota, Kelly Holstein, chose to kneel during the national anthem of the NCAA football championship game where the ceremony took place to stand up for marginalized and oppressed people, according to a tweet she wrote. Like many had before, I respect kneeled before national anthem. No one is free until we are all free, she wrote, referencing Kaepernick. Honored as State Teacher of the Year NCAA Championship game, given platform to stand up for marginalized, and I kneeled. Yo, fuck yourself. Austin, who was an English and language art teacher at Totaka Learning Center in Shakopopi from 2012-2019, has been outspoken about her activism. She led a tech talk, TED Talk. That was the map thing we played ages ago. It wasn't her, but I'm just saying, TED Talks are out there. Educators must be allies. In her speech, she advocated for teachers to be willing to leave their comfort zones and stand up for all human beings being marginalized. Allies are wonderful and we need them, but it's not enough for educators just to be allies. We need to need them to be advocates. In 2019, she skipped the teacher's thing at the president, the words of practice and policy administration, but filled a lot of hate towards LGBT, so I couldn't feel comfortable in the environment. What words? Can I an example, please? Oh, he didn't let transgenders be in the army. That's all he did. Okay. Anyway, she's a gay mafia person. She's gay. So, yeah. That's that's all it's about. Professor, freedom of speech is implicated in racism. There you go. Let's go all in, folks. Because remember, that's, that's what they try to push all the time. In a recent speech, North Carolina professor told students that the ex- existence of racism can be attributed in large part to freedom of speech, something he says is contingency and bigotry, according to the James G. Martin Center for Academic Renewal, a University of North Carolina Chapel Hill professor, gave a lecture on free speech as part of a two-day lecture called Tribalism, Vi- Voicelessness, and Problem of Free Speech. In an audio recording of the speech, Eric King Watts can be heard quoting Stephen Cocken calling Robert Mueller's report an unambiguous ethical indictment of Trump's campaign and presidency. He also refers to the ongoing radicalization of Republican Party. Watts later alleged Trump was thrilled about Russian interference and quotes Cocken saying that Trump supporters believe in conspiracy theories. Watt goes on to explain how free speech lends itself to racism. Democracy means free speech, but is increasingly vulnerable to excesses. I will first set forth how freedom of speech is implicated in racism by linking it to historical contingencies to production of blackened flesh. Hmm. <laughs> I'm letting that sit while I'm smoking my cigar. <laughs> I will demonstrate how racism produces its uneven distribution of capacity and debility. The very idea of freedom postulated in universal terms in the 19th century and serving as an ontological structure for the First Amendment doesn't allow the black... Doesn't allow the black. We're taking the black? Is this fucking Game of Thrones? Are we talking about taking the black? And do you like how I just fucked up ontological? Yeah, me need to read more. This exclusion is not legal nor paralegal. It's brokered by the psychic structure and pseudoscience responding to the bipower imperialism racism. I speak long words, say a lot of stuff, but really I'm just saying Whitey is an idiot. It reminds me a lot of this guy. First of all, we must internalize the flatulation of the matter by transmitting the effervescence of the Indonesian proximity in order to further segregate the crux 
of my venereal infection. Now, if I may retain my liquids here for one moment, I'd like to continue the redundance of my quote-unquote intestinal tract. I mean, that's what they all sound like. That's what Obama sound like to me, to be quite honest. Not being racist, I'm just saying. We're going to say fancy words, but what we're really saying is we fucking hate white people. I hate white people. White people are the cause. At least Michelle Obama had the balls to say it. I've never been as proud as now because we have a black president because you white people suck. Just say it. You're racist. You can be. It's our country. You can be racist as a black person. Oh, wait a minute. You're not even defined as a racism. You just have prejudices forced by white people who are horrible. Then we got anti-Israeli professor weaponizing curricula for political agenda. Anti-Semitism watchdog group AMCHA initiative released a study revealing what it says is the first empirical evidence that academics in support of BDS against Israel, directly promoting this political agenda in their classrooms. The AMCHA initiative is a non-prominent dedicated to conducting research to combat anti-Semitism on college campuses. Its most recent study used syllabi from 50 different courses addressing the Israel-Palestinian conflict from 40 different public and private institutions over the past 12 years. The findings indicate that almost 4 out of 5 course reading assigned by BDS supporting instructors were written by BDS supporters. Only 17% of reading assigned by instructors who were not proclaimed BDS supporters were from BDS supporting authors. The same study found that there were almost no overlap in content taught on non-BDS professors and BDS supporting professors and the AMCH initiative reporting the author suggested the type of behavior is severely limiting or completely excluding reading that would provide a more balanced picture of Israel. They can't. They can't. I mean, you could go back and show all the times that the Palestinians blew shit up and killed people and that Israelis live in a fucking police state because of Palestine. Israelis, just not the Palestinians. But why would we do that? We have to be anti-Israeli. We call it Zionism. We call it they shouldn't have a state. This was our country. Whatever. It just comes down to hate Jews. Just fucking say it. Trinity College sees campus reform early responder to monitor attacks on professors. Now dig this. Campus reform, I get a lot of my articles from them. And they have people that respond to shit that's going on on campus. Well, now Trinity College is going to have somebody reporting on the people reporting. Trinity College's Connecticut is seeking early responder students to monitor campus reform attacks on professor. Trinity College wants to hire a campus reform early responder as part of its summer research program. Faculty at the college are advised to submit proposals that, once approved, will be included on a list of projects posted on the college website. Currently, the list only contains one research pro- project open to prospective student researchers. The project description states that campus reform is an online website that hires students to write news stories about perceived liberal outrages that occur on the college campuses. It's not perceived. It is. In reality, this outfit is funded by dark money and organized by right-wing participant with the ultimate goal of policing and regulating campus speech. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, conservatives want to police campus speech. 
Jesus Christ in a popsicle stick. The description continues to state that campus reform originates many of the news stories that spark the attacks on College Factory. And they've been attacked a bunch of times. Um, in there, they promoted an article, Let Them Fucking Die, referring to a Republican lawmaker who was affected by the congressional baseball shooting. In a social media post of his own, Williams referred to white people as inhuman assholes. He tweeted that whiteness is terrorism following the 2017 incident. Trinity College said, as a result, it lost nearly 200000 in donations. Trinity College responded on campus forum story in 2017 about Williams, which he called an attack by placing the professor on leave. Williams is currently listed on Trinity's website as professor of sociology. If you see them cut drowning, if you see them in a burning building, if they're, they're bleeding out in an emergency room, if the ground is crumbling beneath them, if they're in a park and they turn their weapons on each other, do nothing, the article stated. Least of all, put your life on the line for theirs. Do not dare think doing so. Putting your life on the line for theirs, giving you reason to feel celestial. Save the life of those who would who would kill you is the opposite of virtuous. Let them fucking die. And a smile a bit when you do. The next part of the Trinity Research Project description is aimed at prospective student researchers, which associate professor of political science Isaac Kamola is seeking to hire. I'm looking for one student to monitor the camp's Reform website, collect and analyze data from the website, develop, maintain a website, and social media tools designed to respond to the attacks. Kamola then suggests that Williams only suggested that white supremacy should die, not individual white people. That's not what he said. I mean, God, let's not fucking actually hire people that are an extremist. No, no, no. Let's go out to the people that are reporting it. That makes sense. That's liberal speak. Conservative group has had enough and they're suing New Jersey school over unconstitutional policies. Articles I've read, they got a good deal because they're actually quelling free speech. Some fierce there. Harvard ends our, I think it ends our college section because it is, this is a fucking good one. This is a fucking doozy. Harvard releases proposal to divide Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C., not the state into 127 new states to eliminate electoral college. Yeah, we don't like the Constitution. Before French architect and engineer Pierre-Charles Lafont was selected to design America's capital city, he described his vision to Congress in 1784, saying he hoped to give an idea of greatness of an empire as well as engraved in every mind that sense of respect that is due to a place in the seat of supreme power. Millions of tourists from around the world come to Washington, but Harvard researchers have a new plan for American capital, breaking into 127 new states. By doing so, the Electoral College, established by founding founders, would be rendered moot. In a piece titled Pack the Union, a proposal to admit new states for the purpose of amending the Constitution to ensure equal representation. Yeah, the writers aren't exactly fair and balanced. For most of the 21st century, the world's oldest surviving democracy has been led by a chief executive who received fewer votes than its opponents in election for the position. The first of these ex- executives started a war based on false pretenses. Oh, we're talking about Bush. They killed hundreds of thousands of civilians. The second, not... See, he didn't talk about our soldiers. Just the, the supposed Iraqis killed by other Muslims. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think ISIS kind of proved, if you really want to break it... You know, if we want to get down to the brass tacks those people were going to be killed anyway so we had nothing to do with it um, they would eventually have done this anyway because these motherfuckers are crazy 
Second, a serial abuser woman who hired a campaign manager, lobbyist, violent dictatorship, authorized immigration policy, and forcibly separated immigrant children and their families, blah, blah, blah. And then they have the proposal to create a system where every vote counts equally. The Constitution must be amended. To do this, Congress should pass legislation reducing the side of Washington, D.C. to an area encompassing only a few core federal buildings and then admit the rest of the district's 127 neighborhoods as states. <laughs> These states... What could be added with simple congressional majority would add enough votes to the Congress to ratify four amendments. One, transfer of the Senate powers to the body that represents citizens equally. Two, an expansion of the House so that all citizens are represented in equal-sized districts. Three, placement of the Electoral College of popular vote. And four, modification of the Constitution amendment process that would ensure future amendments are ratified by states representing most Americans. Did you hear that? So, in their play, to break it down, layman's, we make 127 districts, 127 states. We then implement a system that only the coast decide amendments so that they can ratify anything they want as a constitutional amendment. It wouldn't take all states. It would take the states where the most people live, which are always going to be Washington, Oregon, California, New York, yada, 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 yada. Um, Radical as this proposal may sound, it's no more radical than a nominally democratic system of government that gives citizens widely disappropriate voting power depending on where they live. The people should not tolerate a system that is manifestly unfair. They should instead fight fire with fire and use the unfair provisions of the Constitution to create a better system. The researchers claim Washington, D.C. is the only area in the United States that can be legally broken up into states and notes that every proposed subdivision voted overwhelming for the Democratic Party in 2016. They always think that it's never going to change for them. When they broke up the powers and did the nuclear options under fucking Bush and Obama, they never realized they could could be used against them. And then they used against them, but they are allowed with the complicit media just to claim, oh, this is unconstitutional. And then people like me go, motherfucker, you just did it. The anonymous writer also said that Democratic caucuses in Congress should be confident that new states created in the district would elect like-minded delegation to Congress. They target the Electoral College which they think is unfair. More than 10% of the presidents have been elected despite losing the popular vote, in large part because the system presently operates in a manner inconceivable to its creators. No, it wasn't. Our creators, your fucking moon bat fucking Antifa people, and all your college students, and all these other fucking... AOC wouldn't be able to be a representative and wouldn't vote because it was about landowner. Get a history book. To revamp the system, constitutional amendments would be needed. An easier way to amend constitution would be for Congress to admit a large number of new states and congressionally representatives reliably ally with the existing majority in sufficient numbers to propose and ratify new amendments fixing the problem of unequal representation. The researchers write. In conclusion, the document states the current system of representation allows for a minority population to impose its will on a majority in a way that is deeply undemocratic. I am sorry to hurt you, but there's more people living in the middle of the country than on the coast. The Electoral College actually hampers our votes because we don't get a whole bunch of electoral votes. That's why the system was always perfect. It allows all you moon bats to live in your fucking rat cage in New York and you get more representation. You get more electoral college votes than we do. That's why in the middle of the country, the system as it is allows you to have a popular vote majority because majority of people in the middle of the country don't vote. 
I don't vote all the time. It doesn't matter. I'm in a red state. I know red's going to win. I'm good with that. Even though I'm not a Republican. But with the crazy fucks you got running around and all the crazy stuff we talk about the show, ah, I can't have that. So I vote for president. That's about it. But my vote really doesn't matter because it's going to vote red. The same could also be true for your states. Oregon. Oregon's not as blue as I make it out on the show. But the major fucking districts are blue. If you go this popular vote, you might not, you might find out you're not the majority. And then if we're talking about minority and majority, let's break it down. You're telling me all the time I have to care about the 0.07% of fucking idiots who wake up one day and want to be the opposite sex. And that they need more rights than I do. And I'm infringing their rights because I can't remember their 99 fucking pronouns and a bitch ain't one. Like that little Jay-Z up in this bitch. I mean, seriously. But now you're saying a minority amount of people in this country, go shut the fuck up. I mean, do you see their logic? It is an Excel spreadsheet circular logic. It's always this way on everything. Kids can vote, but they can't do this. And they can't do that. Blah, blah, blah. And back to the article. It permits the disenfranchisement of some citizens and overrepresentation of other, and it allows a party receiving fewer votes in its opposition to control each branch of the government. It does not have it to be this way. If it was acceptable, remedy some of the constitutional's, constitution's original injustices by excluding states from the amendment process. Perhaps it is worthwhile to address those remaining by creating new ones. Perhaps it's also worthwhile to dream big about what kind of change is possible. It should not be a radical proposition for the Constitution to treat citizens' votes equally. The United States was founded on the proposal that all are created equal. Yeah. But not everybody can vote, so shut the fuck up. Let's go to fucking gay shit for I scream. Hey, hey, hey. Little pump in the cut. Gang shit, 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 gang shit. This just sums the fuck up our media. The story itself comes from the AP, but NBC News is posted on their website, so we're guessing NBC came up with the headline to its piece. It really doesn't matter, though. The two news organizations are obviously in sync. In either case, we're supposed to believe that Tennessee Governor Bill Lee is ready to put in let's signature on an anti-gay adoption bill. Tennessee Governor says he will sign an anti-gay adoption bill. The comments are already full of things like Republicans are garbage and boycott Tennessee, but the whole article is worth reading. Tennessee Governor Bill Lee announced Tuesday that he'll sign a law measure that would assure continued taxpayer funding of faith-based foster care and adoption agencies, even if they exclude LGBT families and others based on religious beliefs. The GOP-controlled Senate gave the bill final passage on the first day of the 2020 legislative session. After it was... Initially approved by the House last April, the bill was sent to Republican governor amid warnings by critics of possible negative consequences for Tennessee's reputation. Oh, possible negative consequences. 
does that mean Holly will have a fit and swear not to film ever again? So it's anti-gay bill because it funds Christian adoption services? Let's see how that worked out for children. In 2011, Illinois declined to renew its state contract with Catholic Charities Adoption Service due to its policy refusing children placement to same-sex couples. Catholic Charities has also stopped handling adoptions in Washington, D.C., Massachusetts, and San Francisco over the concerns they will be required to act against the religious beliefs. This is like a little Sisters of the Poor getting dragged in court all over again, or Chick-fil-A pulling its donations to the Salvation Army. Seth Manuel. I'm glad I read the article before commenting, since the actual bill is not what I assumed just reading the headline. That's not anti-gay, that's religious freedom. Yeesh. No one is stopping other agencies from allowing homosexual couples to foster or adopt. We still the land of the free, you know, fake news. NBC News. The bill doesn't prevent any gay individual or couple from adopting or fostering. They have lots of other agencies to adopt and foster through. It protects faith-based agency and their guaranteed First Amendment right. Here's the real story. Let me pull it up. My, my script is so big I couldn't put everything in it. Sorry. So I had to go to the internet for something. <clears throat> when it comes to adoption, I'm incredibly biased. Although I was conceived in rape, my birth mom chose to be stronger than her circumstances. She rejected the further violence of abortion and gave me life and the gift of adoption. I grew up in a family of 15. Nine of my 12 siblings were also adopted. We were all loved like crazy by pro-lifers who are always absurdly accused of not caring for children after they're born. Of course, that bumper sticker mantra is just a political jab with zero truth behind it. It's no different from the political attacks on adoption that are happening right now. LGBT Mafia want to shut down faith-based adoptions agency. This is not hyperbole, but there's plenty of irony. These groups are aggressively attacking people for whom they are, Christians, and who they love, the nation's most vulnerable children out of the womb. Faith-based children welfare providers like Catholic Social Services and Bethany Christian Services have been caring for our nation's most vulnerable children long before LGBT mafia ever even existed. But now, powerful multi-million dollar LGBT organizations want to ensure that these adoptions agencies no longer exist unless they bow to their gender atmosphere. <clears throat> their gender activism. This is why I support the Child Welfare Protection Inclusion Act and the Daldert Home Amendment. Neither prevents any homosexual, bisexual, transgender individual from going to a multitude of agencies who will consider their eligibility for adoption. They specifically enable faith-based agencies to continue to carry on the religious call to care for the unborn. All of us are created by the union of a mother and a father. It's not hateful or discriminatory to hold the arguable biological reproductive process and subsequent model of parenting up as a reality. I have plenty of friends who are single adoptive parents. They're amazing. But when we can, a child whose biological parents cannot or will not provide a safe environment for her, he, be able to have a mom and a dad, that's not hate, that's love. Does it make, does it make me single-phobic? Sorry, I just fucked this page up. Does it make me single phobic? I am so sorry. There it is. I don't hate single parents, whether biological or adoptives. It's compassion that compels me to want the best for vulnerable children. 
my multiracial family, I put that in quotes because we're just one human race, would exist if we weren't for faith-based adoption agencies. At a time when National Association of Black Social Workers opposed transracial adoption for any reason, faith-based agencies defy NABSW's harmful and racist 1972 decree. NABSW still holds this tragic position. That's not getting written about. You hear that? So the NABSW won't let whiteies get black kids. You never hear the outcry, do you? I've heard that before. I just never covered it on the show. But the day's titans of tolerance are none for Christians who won't change their science-backed beliefs. And Massachusetts Catholic Charities were forced to end their adoption service because the state wanted to legally force them to place children with same-sex couple. The same happened in D.C. and Philadelphia where faith-based adoption agencies were forced out of foster care contracts with the city because they were practicing what they had been for decades, placing adoption bound children with homes with a married mom and dad or a single Christian parent. Two of the legal powerhouses behind these insidious lawsuits, here, 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 and here, they're all trying to force faith-based child welfare providers to assimilate the CLOSE or the ACLU and Lambda League. So much for keeping kids first. The very same group launching a nationwide assault on faith-based adoption agencies are the same ones who celebrate the abortion of millions who could have been adopted. The ACLU is unapologetically pro-abortion. The 100 million legal behemoth is proud to stand with PPFA. And I've tried and failed to force Catholic hospitals to commit abortions, you know, because abortion is so pro-choice. None of this stops those in the leftist ACLU from claiming they are the ones who keep the unaborted kids first. Never mind the ACLU as legally represented Nazis, KKK, and NAMBLA, pedophiles and murderers, and made sure those dangerous individuals and organizations have their First Amendment rights defended. Their vile beliefs are worth protecting, but oh no, not faith-based adoption agency. They care, not exploit, molest, or kill children. They must, they must be stopped. Then there's Lambda League, the LGBT legal organization that has made <clears throat> the relationship between abortion and LGBT rights crystal clear in 2005 National Conference Call. Reproductive freedom and LGBT rights have been inextricably linked, but both legally and politically. The ties between these rights are so strong that we really believe that the threat to one directly profoundly impacts the other. Being gay and abortion. Intersectionality! I wholly agree with the statement. Both political movements are rooted in pseudoscience, but both movements have no regard for the First Amendment. Both movements decry discrimination and inequality while celebrating the most violent form of committed by billion-dollar abortion industry. Like the ACLU, Lambda League seems to think that adoption is to serve special interest groups instead of the child. Adoption happens because of brokenness, a selfless act that can be bringing wholeness and healing to the child and birth parents. Activists think discriminatory, discrimination is inherently evil. The adoption process is inherently discriminatory for a reason. I know this is an adoptee and as an adoptive father, a child doesn't need to move from dysfunctional to more dysfunction which is why prospective parents are heavily screened, investigated for any criminal background, and subjected to home studies to best assess their suitability. The unborn in our nation's foster children are the most vulnerable in our society. They need more compassion, child welfare providers who will help change the trajectory of their lives. They need more faith, hope, and love. And that is one big African-American dude. It's not fucking... The fucking proof is in the fucking pudding. I've covered it on the show. The fucking stats are empirical. 
that a two-parent home results in a better kid. It's there. The left knows it's there. They just don't want to talk about it. Drug abuse, suicide rates. They need two parents. Now, I, for one, am not one of those people that think two gay people shouldn't adopt. You want to take a kid, that's important. Because as this website I just read says, adoption exists to serve the best interests of the child, not special interest groups. It's about the children. Getting them homes. And Christian groups who are supposed to be anti-pro-choice and pieces of fucking shit, they adopt the most kids. They care for the most kids. But because they won't do it under their religious freedom of speech and the right to serve their God... That's what NBC puts out. Surprisingly, a lot of other people didn't touch it. And this didn't make a big deal in local news. But my local NBC is starting to get to the skinny because their ratings have been slipping and the little liberal fucking uh, social media director, whoever they had, well, they're gone. Because all the liberal shit is gone from their website. Um, They no longer just carry any crazy thing that they can find that's liberal and they stopped with the the, the Trump bashing, which really kind of surprised me because it was just rampant. But I think they realized you have to go with what what is your demographic. And the demographic here is not liberal. It's conservative. It's Christian. And they were carrying all sorts of crazy shit. But long story short, this is is our media. They're going to do it. And I didn't segue over to Pink News. And these are the articles on Pink News this week. Lesbian left bloody and bruised after being jumped by thugs and brutal homophobic attack. Nowhere in this article do they say anything about homophobic. Nobody said anything. But you're gonna, there's a string of these I'm gonna read. This is what the left does. This is how you get the crazy numbers. Charlie Graham was left shaken after two men battered her in the head from behind and threw her to the ground in an incident that rippled Sunderland, England community she called home. Violent Violence against LGBT folk are rocking in the last five years in England and Wales, but Graham explained that this incident was the fifth time she's been targeted for her sexuality. The Daily Mirror reported law enforcement are treating the incident as a hate crime. What happened to Charlie Graham? While on her way home, blah, 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 blah. A guy was struck by two men from Town End Farm. I got hit from behind by a fist in the back of the head. Then I hit the ground, hurt my legs face. I tried to back off, but they pushed me to the ground. She remained haunted, however, being the fifth consecutive time she's been targeted for her sexuality. Just randomly beaten. Because she's a lesbian. Like, how did they know she was a lesbian? How did they just walk up and go, you're a lesbian? Because nowhere did she say she was walking with her lover, right? No, she's just walking down the road. Random beating. And oh, by the way, she was fucking robbed. So instead of just saying she was robbed, no, I'm going to twist this. Uh, I was not confidence back. I don't get anywhere by myself. I only feel comfortable in my mom's house. I panic attacks, anxiety attacks. 
I live and decide to come through the door. I get attacked in my own home. I've had people threaten to come through my door and smash the windows. Lesbian attacked five times and set their home phobia as part of her life. I think you'd be able to be proud of who you are, Graham said, describing how Peter results. She's accepted homophobia as a factor of her life. It makes me feel I've got to stay in the house and hide who I am and everything. But in this day and age, I shouldn't have to do that. I should be accepted. I try not to let it beat me up and get in my life. But I do worry that it happens again, that it will worse than before. It did scare me, but I thought I just one of those things. I'm happening again. What am I supposed to do? I do look like a boy, and I do act like a boy, and there's no femininity about me at all, but I am not aggressive or rowdy. I don't pick fights. I've never opened my mouth to anybody. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that's the case. Just randomly walking down the road. Let's beat up that lesbian. I just read you the whole article. They never said anything. Next one. Gay couple blackmailed after hookup, then attacked with tear gas by four men. Mass men. Couple who have not been publicly verified live in Epinay, France. They they had used a dating app to meet a 19-year-old man who entered a sexual relationship with them, according to law enforcement. The 19-year-old then claimed to have contracted a sexually transmitted disease from the gay couple and demanded money. The couple who were married gave the man some of four thousand pounds local media report it's unclear what the gay couple were afraid of they were locally married so it's un- unlikely that it was fear of being outed as gay local media also report the man had no proof of either having the sti or got an sti in the same week the 19 year old man began extorting them the gay couple answered a knock at the door in the middle of the night to find four hooded and gloved men the masked men sprayed the gay couple with tear gas then they said they were on behalf of the 19 year old they asked for money which the couple refused to give them it's not clear whether they entered the gay couple's house or any point, but after the demand for the money was refused, the four masked men then left. After this, the gay couple were frightened enough to go to the police, stuff they hadn't taken before, despite being thousands of euros out of pocket. The couple reported the incident to the police. The police said that the 19-year-old blackmailer wasn't at home when they looked for him and that they haven't been able to identify or find the four masked men. Do you ever see an article four shitheads fuck with heterosexual family? That had nothing to do with being gay. You hooked up with some shady motherfuckers, had some freaky deaky, and there it is. Why don't it be lesson learned? Don't hook up with randos online, do a gangbang, and give them fucking, you know, fucking syphilis. I mean, what? Is it me? No, that was like, it had banners. It was huge. Stripper sentenced to life in prison for murdering his boyfriend with two gunshots to the head at no time was there anything homophobic, but they counted it as one of the transgender kills. In the article, is believed to be the last transgender murder in America. 22. It was your boyfriend. You got in a fight. It went viral. Or went fucking deadly. That's kind of what happens sometimes. I was going to cover a couple of weeks ago. Dude just whacked his wife. He was a soldier. It had nothing to do with anything. It didn't make the paper as in a big thing. It was a domestic. But not on peak news. Then, because it was slow news week. I was gay in the British Army when it was illegal. It drove me to drink and attempt on my own life. I picked this one on purpose because my loneliness drove me to drink and I thought about committing suicide 
quite a few times in my trailer and the van down by the river river in the Mojave Desert for two fucking years. But I wouldn't have blamed any proposals in the Army or policies. And if I was gay, I wouldn't say the Army made me want to kill myself. Because of their backward shit. See, it's always twisted. Which is, you know, I, I hit these to see how absurd it is. The absurdity of it. But I really want to break out the fact, how are you in a greed class? How are you treated poorly? You're not. Everybody twists everything to show how horrible life is for you poor gay people or transgender people. And we need to do all these things. We need to dox people. We need to ruin companies. Nobody's doing that for everybody else. You have jumped the line. Black people aren't even cared about anymore. Women, fuck that feminist shit. We've gone straight into there's no gender and only black tranny dudes with dicks who want to be women are now the most important thing in our media. Really? You even Trump abortion. Hmm. Then we got this weird one. New play tells story of African-American lesbians who draw her inspiration from Natalie Portman. What the fuck? All the Natalie Portman tells the story of lesbian Kiona. She and her older brother Samuel find themselves on the brink of eviction, which leads Kiona to escape into a world of romantic comedies, red carpets, and Natalie Portman films. Kiona is described as too smart, too gay, and too lonely to fit in. But she's finally forced to confront her demons while the many Natalie Portmans from different films start talking to her. All the Natalie Portmans will debut on Broadway in February. The play, which is written by C.A. Johnson, will make it world premiere at the MCC Theater in February. All the Natalie Portman's a love letter addressed to every queer girl struggling to actualize her dreams and every poor black family fighting to love one another despite the onslaught. Oh my god. The cast includes a bunch of people that I don't know who the fuck they are. Uh, all the Natalie Portman's a love letter addressed to every... And delighted to work with MCC and hope audience laugh, cry, and commune with us for weeks to come. Portman, who is a vocal LGBT plus EIEIO ally, has won her fair share of queer fans over the years with her iconic films. Natalie Portman is vocal LGBT ally and has won. Why do they keep repeating themselves? In 2012, she played a ballerina in Black Swan and won an Academy Award for a performance in the film. Her character had a sex dream about a fellow ballerina played by Mila Kunis. The scene upset straight people. Oh, did it? Well, I'm going to click that link just to see. Um, so much that the complained uh, that drove the British Film Board of Film Classification, arguing the film should have a higher age rating. Last year, the actress went to Women's March wearing a hat that read Make America Gay Again. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And then their last one, um, iconic LGBT plus bookshop, Le Moine à la Bouquet, which I think is book. I don't know French, but it sounds like book. Forced out of Paris gay district by rising rents. The 40-year-old bookshop, widely considered as one of the best LGBTQ EIL bookshop in the world, is a focal point of the historic gay neighborhood of Moraine District of Central Paris. What is a gay neighborhood? I mean, I, I live in a neighborhood. Is this a heterosexual neighborhood? I mean, is it gay? Is it like... It does, like... Like, the buildings have sex with mobile homes? Is that what we're saying? I don't know. I'm so fucking confused. 
But in recent months, it had a poster with a window calling, Cult- Cultural Heritage in Danger, We Need Your Help, Paris City Hall Promotes the Gay History of Mara- Maasai, and it's painted the crossroads here in rainbow colors, but no longer have our bookshops here. It seems absurd. The owner of Les Paul, blah, blah, blah. And no other articles about other businesses that are fucked too because they raise the rent. Because that would fucking make sense. You know. Yeah. Here's uh, the Black Swan gay love scene prompts more complaints than any other film. Oh, really? And... In here, they try to twist. Port adds that complaints argue that the portrayal of the homosexual activity should be to be restricted to 18 category. We have a clear policy and guidelines so we don't differentiate and discriminate whether it's a straight or gay lesbian scene. He suggests some complaints may have from people who have expected to see a film about Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake, but were confronted with a dark psychological thriller with a homosexual element. That's their article. There's a couple complaints. There were some complaints about a gay scene in front of their kid. The same thing would have been written if it was straight couple sex scene and we didn't expect it. But, you know, once again, we got a twist. That's why I cover Pink News. Pink News is nothing but twisting everything to fit our agenda. Lastly, to show our American fucking LGBT mafia are just absurd. Human rights lawyers urge Japan to enforce sterilization of trans people. In the country, they forcibly sterilize people. In America, you're a bigoted piece of shit if you don't sterilize your kids. Yeah, you got it really hard. In the rest of the world, it's illegal, you go to jail, you're executed, you're sterilized, you're thrown off fucking buildings... In America, people just don't want to do your 95 pronouns. Yeah, cry me a fucking river. Let's go to everything that's racist, and you're going to have a long soundbite. Oh, sweet Jesus, NBC News. What the fuck happened to you? Everything is racist. Everything is racist, according to me. white in so many ways is to be raised to be functionally illiterate on the topic of race. I am white uh, and part of being white is that I was not raised to see myself in racial terms. I mean I understood that somebody had race but not really me. To be white is to see oneself outside of race. To see oneself as a unique special individual exempt from the forces of socialization. I'll never forget a moment of standing beside a black man leading a workshop on race and a white woman said to him, I don't see color. He said, well then how are you going to see racism? Because I am black. I do think you know that. And I have a different experience than you do. And you're not going to be able to understand that and you're not going to be able to support the parts of that experience that are really painful and problematic if you refuse to acknowledge my reality. I don't see color is really a way of saying I refuse to acknowledge your reality. 
What's important about that narrative is it reveals what the person thinks racism is. So if the person is using proximity, fondness across race as evidence of a lack of racism, in order for that to be good evidence, a racist must not be able to do that. So that rests on an understanding that a racist cannot tolerate proximity to people of color. And I'm hoping that we can see that's pretty absurd because trust me, even avowed racists can tolerate being around people of color and often are. You cannot talk about any other issue without talking about how race informs that issue. And when someone says it's about class, that tends to function as a way to get race off the table. First of all, we're already divided by race. Uh, and focusing on race is, is not what did it. I would say not focusing on race, refusing to grapple with how race shapes virtually everything is what keeps us divided. And that is a very white narrative. All of those narratives function to get race off the table, close the expiration, exempt the person from any further engagement, and protect the racial hierarchy and the white position with it, which is an unequal hierarchy. The challenge I want to offer my fellow white people is changing the question from if to how. So dominant culture asks if I'm racist, and I want to change that question to how have I been shaped by the forces of racism? How is racism manifesting in my life? because it circulates 24-7, 365. None of us can be and none of us were exempt from its forces. And this is where individualism can come in. I have a particular story, but that story didn't exempt me. And so I can ask myself, how did all the things I see as unique about me set me up into the overall racist structure? Because it did. Oh, yeah, this is some graduate-level fucking intersectionality, signaling, virtue-signaling craziness. NBC News, of course. Of course it's NBC News. They are the race channel. Of all the ones, they have always... I mean, they started early with Obama. If you even criticize, you're a racist piece of shit. And they haven't relented. Opinion, Noah Berlotsky. Why Trump voters motivated by racism could be breaking the law. Yeah, I just read that. If a Trump era has taught us anything, it's a large number of white people in the United States are motivated, at least in part, by racism in the voting booth. Donald Trump ran an openly racist campaign for president calling Mexican rapists and criminals. No, he didn't. Regularly retweeting white supremacy. No, he didn't. And at least initially balking at rep- repudiating former Ku Klux Klan leader David Duke. No, he tried to do something new that all Republicans try every once in a while. Fuck playing the games in the media. And then he just did it to shut you up. Trump made it clear that his campaign, Make America Great Again, meant that America was greater when white people's power was more sweeping and more secure. Sure, that's exactly what he meant. While voters approved of that message by a whopping 58% to 37%. 
Trump made it clear it's camp. Okay, sorry. It's, it's, some politicians deny the evidence, no doubt, because they don't want to alienate white voters, including prejudiced ones. Other commentators try to parse whether Trump's racism will be winning strategy in 2020. Terry Smith, a visiting professor at the University of Baltimore School of Law, offers a different response in his new book, White Lash, Unmasking White Grievances at the Ballot Box. Rather than excuse racist voters or try to figure out how to live with their choices, he argues that racist voting is not just immoral, but illegal. The government, Smith says, is the ability and the responsibility to address it. This sound radical. This sounds radical, but Smith argues that it's in line with the Constitution and with years of court rulings. For example, Smith points out that racist appeals and a union election are illegal, and that an election in which one side uses racist appeals can be invalidated by the National Labor Relations Board. Similarly, in 26 case, Pena versus Rodriguez, Supreme Court ruled that when a juror expresses over bigotry, the jury's, jury's verdict should be invalidated. When voters go to the booth, they're not expressing a mere personal preference, Smith told me. According to Smith, voters who pull the lever to harm black people are violating the Constitution. See, this is what... Electoral College. Now we're going to go to anybody in the South, even if you live there. I don't care what race you are. Your vote doesn't count. If the Constitution means that overt racist appeals undermine the legality of union election, it stands to reason why they undermine the legality of other elections as well. So how can you tell when voters are acting out of prejudice? Again, Smith says employment discrimination law provides a useful analogy. In discrimination cases, court look for a pretext. If someone gives a reason for hiring decision that is obviously false or makes little sense in context, the court has a good reason to believe that prejudice or bias may have influenced the hiring. Trump's unprecedented compulsive easily documented lying during the 2016 campaign made him an irrational choice. It's reasonable to conclude that voters were willing to swallow the falsehoods because they liked what they heard. Overt racist appeals and incessant lies about rising crime rates. Researchers suggested that plenty of Trump voters were indeed strongly motivated by racist resentment. Where's the study? Oh, yeah, let's click this. I think we covered this. Hold on a second. This is, this is some good shit right here. Cambridge, explaining the Trump vote, the effect of racist sentiments and anti-immigration sentiments. We covered this on the show. It is just a liberal think tank who made some shit up. Uh, the usual remedy for racial discrimination is censure or fines, as Trump was subjected to when the Justice Department, he's going back to a tenement thing ages ago. Um... Ending the practice of state and federal level would be a big step towards reducing the power of races of the battle buck, as would ending the use of voter ideas intended to disenfranchise black votes. This is just the way they're going around it now. They're just fucking giving Latinos or illegals Latinos IDs to vote. They're just going to say, fuck it. You know, we can't win this way because the majority of America believes we should have voter idea. And we've tried this. Oh, it's racism bullshit that it disenfranchises black people but you can bust them to 85 precincts to vote why can't you bust them and pay for an id card you got all that dark money dims even more ambitiously smith suggests expanding the voter right act to address the racist patterns of voting in senate elections 
in the South. God, I just took a guess, but they're right. But I was right. Because the majority of white voters in the South vote Republican, and because they outnumber black voters, there isn't a single Democratic senator from the deep South other than Doug Jones in Alabama, who may well lose his seat in 2020, they hope. Smith argues that we could remedy these disparate racial-motivated outcomes by creating Senate districts, presumably that would make it least possible for black voters to elect a senator who would support their interests. This is clearly a very controversial proposal and it constitutionally has been debated in the past, but given obvious disparities in representation in the South, it seems worth considering again. Over the last decade, an increasingly conservative Supreme Court has gutted the Voter Right Act and upheld racist gerrymandering. Trump and Senate Majority Leader McConnell are stacking both the Supreme Court and federal courts more broadly with conservative judges, which is what all parties do. The prospect for aggressive legislative response to racist voting seems slim. Still, Smith points out in the long term, these remedies are a lot more practical than a lot of people might think. Republicans won't always control the presidency in the Senate and judges don't live forever. Democrats could also expand the number of seats on lower courts or even the Supreme Court, another controversial proposal known as court packing. If Democrats decide that responding to racist voting is a vital priority, they could in time take steps to do something about it. It's difficult to address injustice, however, if you're unwilling to say injustice exists. Politicians and pundits, Republicans and Democrats alike, have been unwilling to reprimand voters or hold them accountable. But voters are not well in Tension innocents who are helplessly manipulated by malevolent leaders. They make important decisions or constitutional actors for which they have moral responsibility. Racist voting isn't an accident. It's a choice that may violate the principles of our Constitution or legal system. We should say so, and then we should find ways to reduce the harm and causes. So, you're a racist because you don't vote Democrat, and we want to take your vote away. I mean, the stuff I put out on this show, if you vote for Democrat, I really got to think about you for a second. Not that Republicans are good, but my point is, every proposal they come up with after they lose is remove people's ability to vote. And isn't that what they're saying voter ID is? And then the wholesale issue, it's of IDs to people that aren't even citizens. I mean, really think about that. That's insane. Then we got CBS News. D.C. Fire Department recruits might be making white power hand gestures in photo. Somebody's summation of this. Look at that one guy making the white power symbol, right? By the head of the fellow recruit who happens to be black and female. Stop the presses. Holy crap. L-O-Hell, if you see a white power symbol everywhere, you might be one with a white power issue. Yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. Now this news is getting dragged, and rightfully so, over this video of Jewish and Palestinian students speaking out against President Trump, who they say has no right to define what being Jew is. Trump has no right to define what being Jew is. These Jewish and Palestinian students are speaking out against Trump from equating anti-Zionism with anti-Semitism. The whole video is dopey, but the really awful part happens at 447 mark, and I'm not going to play it, where one of the students claimed that Anne Frank didn't die in a concentration camp. Now this news. That's good shit right there. What's going to happen if there is another Holocaust? What's going to happen? Well, we're seeing what's happening. We're seeing people die at the border from a lack of medical care. That's how Anne Frank died. She didn't die in a concentration camp. She died of typhus. Now, notice the captions. Now this change 
what she said to from a concentration camp. They know exactly what they did because they thought the brackets would make it right. John, Jerry Dunleavy. And Frank absolutely died in a concentration camp. Virgin, Belgian to be precise. It is likely she died of typhus epidemic there, though I don't believe we know for sure, but this now this news video is historically inaccurate, and some may say even promotes Holocaust denial. I wonder how this would go over. These children didn't die from detainment camp, they died from the flu. Exactly. That sums it up right there. In a nutshell. Then the root... Peter Kinsaw recently wrote a piece on the controversial 1619 project for National Review Online. Spoiler alert, Kinsaw is critical of the project, laboring historical revisionism. He makes a pretty good case for it being just that, but that doesn't sit well with the roots Michael Harriet, a self-described world-renowned wipeologist who is so incensed by Kinsaw's criticism that he wrote a piece of his own rebuking, rebuking Kinsaw's opinion because it's so typically an ignorant racist white person. The Root, National Review's Pierre Kirsau, wrote an article entitled His Story According to the 1619 Project, suggesting that the project is trying to envenom white children by exposing them to poisonous truth, namely, America's shameful history of slavery. <laughs> Charles Cook. And as a white people, as white people are wont to do, Karen Saw framed his argument in the context of Martin Luther King Jr. White people love to quote King because he's a mythical figure who has been whitewashed by the very version of America that Karen Saw wants to perpetuate. The 1619 Project obsesses with race standing alone is bad enough, Karen Saw, I don't know how to say his name, writes whitely. The 619 Project obsesses with race standing alone is bad enough, Karen Saw writes whitely, they repeat themselves. Apparently writing whitely means favoring facts and evidence over emotion and propaganda. No wonder white people criticize the 619 Project. Today I learned that Peter Kirsaw is white. Amazing, his MOOC wrote an entire article premised around the idea that Peter Kirsaw, as a white man, had no right to criticize the 1619 Project, and obviously didn't bother trying to Google him, or else he would have been discovered that he's black. The guy who wrote the article is a black man, not a white man, but he wrote whitely. And nowhere is that a Twitter moment that the root wrote racist shit. That's racism. How do you write whitely? Seriously, anybody? Then we go to Britain. Britain journalism India Night is up for discussion on racism unless you're white. It's the same theory. Also, if you're white, you don't get to say what is or isn't racist. It's really that simple and basic. Brad Polum Gay Class Trader Bo. I don't know who this is, but he's a blue check. Sounds kind of racist. Yeah, it is. So with all this shit going on, and even though there's been statistics and showing that there's more support for his policies by black people than there was for Bush. Historically, they're more Christian. Historically, they're less down with abortion, even though PPFF name members say that's not true. And they ain't down with the gays. That's why there was a down low thing going on. WAPO and ISIP ran out of poll and said 8 of 10 people described as racist, described as a racist... Sorry. 
Black America is deeply pessimistic about a country and a president who more than 8 in 10 describe as a racist. There we go. That's their poll. Does anybody want to know the inlays? No, you don't. You don't want to know the inlays. Seth Meyer rips GOP for lack of diversity. Ted Cruz levels him. On Thursday night, late liberal night host Seth Meyer took a shot at Republicans with supposedly lack, lacking diversity and not fighting for everyone. The GOP fights for everyone. Meyer's late night, Seth Meyer said. Twitter account posted it. President Trump praised the Republican Party in a tweet and said it fights for citizens of every background and from every race, religion, color, and creed. The top of the meme reads the bottom half where it shows a photo of President Donald Trump smiling and after he tweeted that, even his Twitter avatar couldn't keep a straight face. Here is Ted Cruz. Seth, why is your party president stage all white? Only 70-year-old socialists need apply. The GOP debate stage was quite different. Why has no Hispanic won even a single primary state in the history of the Dem Party? In 2016, Marco Rubio won one, and I won 12, a fact the MSM ignores. And it's true. Name a person of color other than Obama that's won anything on the Democratic side. Really think about that. And then we'll close with now this news. Footage shows police punching a 22-year-old who was allegedly pulled over in connection to several hit and runs. He was arrested. He injured people. And he refused to leave his car. But now this news, they put this online. As another, we got to find a way to bash cops. And it's bullshit. After that, you're going to hear my new bumper. And then you're going to hear some music that is just going to make you laugh, and that's why I'm playing it. you got to laugh at this shit. You just don't have a choice, because we're going into climate change. Yo, 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 yo. Yo, what are you doing? What are you doing? Yo, what are you doing? Get on your belly. You see all because well, they get on your belly. You see this right here, bro. You see how we being treated out here? Look at this, shit, bro. We're right in front of the office, in the middle of the road on Navajo. Go ahead and roll your mess. We need this guy in the white knife. What happened, bro? What happened? Yes. Yes, I you had a Sit back in the seat. Sit down. Sit down on the curb. Sit down. I don't know.
change carols with Sarah and Sam. I'm Sarah. And I'm Sam. And we're going to sing Away in the Climate Apocalypse Future. Away in the future most species are dead. There's still some poor humans, their hearts filled with dread. If typhoons and cyclones don't blow them Simmering acid exceeds their decay. Embattled descendants of ours will be baked by scorching conditions caused by our mistakes. The droughts will be longer. Fires will blaze as biblical floods and humanity's days. Just kidding, some rich folks will surely survive in small fortified city islands. They'll thrive, surrounded by lands blistering dry. The wealthy will party while everyone fries. Silent night, coastal plight, oceans rise. Everything you just heard, including the background, which is Idiotesque, which was written, it's by Radiohead. I love that album, Kid A, but it was about climate. That's all the left. Eat the fucking babies. 2015's not enough. 
How dare you? Put them on the wall. And the two songs are literally written by these climate freaks. And they wrote holiday songs. Um, I don't know if I annotated where I got it. I just fucking cracked the fuck up when I heard this shit. Um, where the fuck was it? Nope, I didn't write it down. Son of a bitch. I found those and I laughed my ass off. That's how crazy these people are. Just fucking crazy. So, we're going to put in uh, some sound bites. NBC blames climate change on, you know, generational divide. So, it's an okay boomer. Uh, then we have now this with another one of those. That squealing sound is one of those videos on the bumper of somebody screaming about fucking climate change. And then we'll get into a couple of fucking articles. This OK Boomer meme online began out of this place that was young people feeling like older people think everything with us is a kid problem, but really... Young people are like, but there's no social security. Boomers aren't moving. They're staying alive longer. I was coming of age. I thought there was a progress, and it was just going to get better and better and better and better. And somewhere along the way, that became untrue. And I think this generation is coming into kind of the backwash of the same problems being as urgent as they were when I was their age. So I'm 68 years old. Everybody I work with is younger than I am. And I live in mortal fear, like... Am I the crazy old guy? You know, the, the meme has caught on because of these things like climate change that millennials feel boomers don't necessarily understand their concern over. But yeah. that particular group was fantastic. Yeah, well, we awesome. lit. I remember Earth, the first Earth Day, right? Yeah. But the, the climate is, the planet has only gotten warmer and That's warmer. Right. The seas warmer and warmer. All these young people with hundreds of thousands of dollars of student debt. Yeah. When you think about, there's, there is, there is truth in the grievance. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. First generation that's going to do worse than their parents. Yeah. Ding, By ding, the way, ding, ding, ding. Oh, my fucking now this was corrupt, but climate disasters cost us $45 billion in damages in 2019. And your Green New Deal would bankrupt us? So what is your point? I don't fucking understand. The Hill. This one went... Oh, it went viral. Federal court tosses kids' climate change lawsuit that aimed to end fossil fuel use. New York Times, breaking appeal court, throws out landmark young people climate suit against federal government. The panel reluctantly concluded the plaintiff's case must be made to the political branches or to the electoral at large. CNN breaking news, the federal appeals court threw out the lawsuit. Somebody's reply, I'm kind of amazed the courts are now passing judgment on the scientific validity of climate change. It's not what they did. It's kind of out of their jurisdiction, isn't it? Well, you said that they could pick who we marry and supersede fucking local authorities, so maybe not. In a jaw-dropping dissent, Judge Staten wrote, seeking to squash this suit, the government bluntly insists that it was the absolute unreliable power to destroy the nation. (laughs) Yes, this one case is going to destroy the nation. New York Times went in on it. Blistering dissent, seeking to squash this suit, the government bluntly insisted it is an absolute blah, blah, blah. If plaintiff's fear backed up the government's own studies proved true, history will not judge us kindly. The judge might want to deliver this warning to bombers in their new oceanfront mansion at Martha's Vineyard as soon as possible. More from the dissent, Josephine Stanton. When the sea envelops our coastal cities, fires and droughts haunt our interiors, and storms ravage everything between. Those remaining will ask, why did so many do so little? 
Yet you've already said that was going to happen in the 80s. Which brings us to our main thing. Michael D. Schellenberger. Climate expert shreds claims by AOC Cortez Thunberg in congressional testimony. Michael D. Schellenberger, president of the Environmental Progress, ripped the far-left extremists, rhetoric perverted by fringe activists that we already listed, during his testimony in front of the House Committee on Science, Space, and Technology. Without using their names, Schellenberger is a regular contributor in some of America's largest publication and a lefty moonbat, ripped apart many of the extreme claims. I'm an energy analyst and environmentalist dedicated to the goals of universal prosperity, peace, and environmental protection. Between 2003 and 2009, I advocated for large federal investment in renewables, many of which were made as part of 2009 stimulus. And since 2013, I've advocated for the continued operation of nuclear plants around the world and thus help prevent emissions from increasingly equivalent of adding 24 million cars. I also care about getting the facts and science right. I believe that scientists, journalists, and advocates have an obligation to represent climate science accurately, even in doing so to reduce the saliency of our concerns. No credible scientific body has claimed climate change threatens the collapse of civilization, much less the extinction of the human species. And yet some activists, scientists, and journalists make such apocalyptic assertions. Unberg, we're in a global eclipse. And yet some activists, scientists, and journalists make such apocalyptic assertions, which I believe attribute to rising level of anxiety, including among adolescents and worsening political polarization. Yeah. The mass extinction. Ten years. My colleagues and I have carefully reviewed the science, interviewed the individuals who make such claim, and written a series of articles debunking them. In response, the Intergovernment Panel on Climate Change invited me to review its next assessment report, and HarperCollins will publish our research finding. While climate change may make some natural disasters more frequent and extreme, the death toll from extreme events could and should continue to decline, as it did over the last century, by over 90%, even as global population quadruples. Does that mean we shouldn't worry about climate change? Of course not. Policymakers routinely take action in non-apolitic apocalyptic problems and the risk of crossing unknown tipping points rises with higher temperatures. It's important to note that Schellenberger is not a climate change denier. Rather, he looks at what science says and doesn't do it for political agenda. Schellenberger noted that most important measure the government needs to undertake in order to reduce climate change is the expanded use of nuclear energy. Solar and wind energy are popular, but their inherent unreliability, large and use requirements and large material requirements mean they make electricity expensive, have large environmental impacts, especially to the fucking birds, and limited. The U.S. invented nuclear energy. Why the fuck aren't we using it? Is what he says. Everyone recognizes that for the U.S. to complete its building nuclear plants abroad, we must build them at home, and yet electric utilities may close half American nuclear plants over the two next two decades. Schellenberger noted that the following must happen to implement a green nuclear deal. First, there must be a significant program of domestic nuclear power plant construction to give U.S. firms the experience they need. Second, the president must direct involved in selling foreign leaders and U.S. technology. Third, the U.S. must offer competitive financing, and fourth, the construction of nuclear plants abroad must centralize under one or two entities. Nuclear is the answer. It just is. But they don't want that because then they can't put their political agenda. Two liberal shit and some more anti-gun shit.
Come on down! You're the next contestant on Liberal Shit! There are new fears tied to a pro-gun rally that's scheduled in Virginia. The governor there declared a temporary state of emergency ahead of the event, and now the FBI has made several arrests. The Virginia capital is bracing for violence ahead of next week's gun rights rally. Officials are concerned it could be a rerun of the deadly Charlottesville protests. This morning, Virginia on high alert. Just days before thousands of gun rights activists are expected to rally at the state capitol, the FBI arresting three alleged members of a violent white supremacist group on gun charges. Just one day earlier, Governor Ralph Northam declaring a state of emergency after learning armed militias and hate groups plan to join the protest. Are you worried about what might happen on Monday? Yeah, yeah, definitely. If it's anything like Charlottesville... That's scary. The FBI tonight has arrested three alleged members of the neo-Nazi group, the base, ahead of a gun rights rally in Richmond, Virginia. Governor Ralph Northam has imposed a temporary ban on weapons near the Capitol, where a rally against new gun regulations is planned for Monday. The arrest of three alleged white supremacists is raising alarms ahead of a gun rights rally in Richmond, Virginia. The state's governor says there is credible intelligence of potential violence at Monday's event. The arrest of the three men, Michelle, is really feeding this narrative that there could be violence here on Monday. The arrests only reinforce concerns. Monday's rally could be a repeat of what happened in Charlottesville in 2017 unless officials intervene. And just in a CNN, the governor of Virginia just declared a temporary state of emergency at the state house uh, ahead of a massive gun rally, citing threats similar to the ones in Charlottesville. With those details ahead, from breaking news: this massive gun rights rally coming to the Virginia state house has ignited a temporary state of emergency. Democratic Governor Ralph Northam just announced a temporary ban on firearms on the grounds of the state capitol. Jason Carroll is our CNN national correspondent, and so this is all about MLK Day and this rally. At right, the state right, house. And, and you remember they had already banned guns inside the, the Capitol. That just happened as well. But look, the governor is saying that this is based on what he called credible, serious threats coming from, in many cases, from hate groups from outside the state, coming from militia groups. Uh, he also says what these groups were planning to do, according to this intelligence, was to disrupt this gun rights rally that's going to be taking place on Monday. So... What did he do? As a result, he's declaring a state of emergency. Goes into effect on Friday. It'll end on Tuesday. He says not only does it include guns, but he says it also includes sticks as well as chains. He wants this to be as safe as possible. And look, all of this taking place in the backdrop of what happened back in you know Charlottesville back in 2017. You remember that Unite to Right rally. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the protesters who showed up there were armed. You remember law enforcement uh, was in some ways criticized for their response. You remember a young woman died when a white supremacist ran over her with her car. They don't want to see a repeat of any violence. And so what they're trying to do is trying to get ahead of this uh, by enacting this temporary ban. Of course, this temporary ban is also uh, upsetting a number of gun rights advocates. Sure, this is all from... Okay, to the reason all this shit's going down, because the media's not going to cover it. Liberals in Virginia, including blackface coon man fucking Northam, who wants live birth abortions, seek to ban indoor ranges. And as we'll see in this few articles, it's just to get to the NRA. A Democratic state delegate introduced legislation banning indoor ranges that would shut down the popular range at the NRA. 
Um, Bill 567 was introduced by Democrat State Legislative Dan Delmer on January 6th and would ban indoor shooting ranges of buildings with more than 50 employees. Yes, this plan would affect the NRA. We also think it would save lives, he said. Oh, sure. This bill would make sure that we don't have people bringing large quantities of firearms and ammunition to the building. Helmer aide Noah Bardish told Prince William Times. Yeah, that's the reason this bill will likely impact the NRA range. The legislation would shut down all indoor ranges, just the vast majority of them. HB 567 would allow indoor ranges to exist in buildings owned or leased by state or Virginia or federal government. See, federal government. Legislation would also permit an indoor range to operate at at least 90% of the people who use it were local, state, or federal law. So they're just making it so you can't have a range. Yeah. NRA spokesman said this is just bullshit. House 569 would effectively cancel reciprocity. I can never say that fucking word. Between Virginia and residents of other states who will conceal carry permits in other states. Helmer's bill were also a latest attempt by the state. Newly installed Democratic majority of vowed to institute gun control in a famously pro-gun state. The Virginia Attorney General vowed to enforce controversial new gun control laws. Even as Democrat legislators in the state were geared up for showdown by increasing the state's corrective budget, when the General Assembly passes new gun violence legislation that will be followed... And they will be enforced. We're talking about very reasonable gun violence legislation. No, it's not. Three gun bills include one handgun, a mu- one handgun a month law passed the Senate. So these are the actual bills. The three bills include requiring background checks for all firearm sales. That means you sell it to your friend. You got to take it in and get a background check. Limiting gun purchases to one in 30 days. And allowing localities to ban guns from public events, which allow localities to ban guns from public events, actually would repeal the current law that restricts localities from enforcing ordinance that would prohibit purchase, possess, transfer, ownership, or carry. SB 69 amends a current law allowing Virginia residents to purchase one handgun a month only. SB 70 requires a background check on all private transfers and sales, and SB 16 was struck from the record, which included a ban on assault weapons, high-capacity magazines, bump stocks, and silencers. The NRA leased a statement following the approval of gun bills. Regrettably, Virginia lawmakers approved a series of measures today that will make it harder for law-abiding Virginians to protect themselves while doing so to stop criminals. We are pleased one of the most egregious gun confiscation bills was pulled from consideration. The NRA will continue to work to stop this stupid fucking shit. Galf Ralph Northam has a package of gun legislation that he's pushing for the include permitting all individual subjects to final protective order from possessing firearms required that the lost and stolen firearm be reported to law enforcement within 24 hours and creating an extreme risk protective order. Other legislation has been filed, including banning indoor ranges at offices where there are less than 50 employees. That would do straight up NRA. The Northam bill initially went and was scrubbed because it didn't grandfather ARs. He was going to make people take it in, and then everybody got with him and said, yeah, this this is bad. We'll lose all our seats, but they're going to anyway. This this is a gun state. Direct on the ban, Dan Zimmerman, Virginia Indoor Range Ban Bill is aimed directly at the NRA. House Bill 567, 567 recently, if enacted, the bill would ban any indoor range not owned by people of $500, 500 people. 
As the bill states, Virginia would allow indoor ranges to continue to operate if fewer than 50 employees work at the building. That would exempt most indoor ranges in the state. Few of any gun store range operation employ as many as 50 people. But even those ranges that would be allowed to continue to operate would have some new record-keeping requirements. They'd have to comply with B, the indoor shooting range maintains a log of each user's name, phone number, and address, and the law enforcement agency where such user is employed, and C, the indoor shooting range verifies each user's identity and address by requiring all users present a government-issued photo. That is a tracking measure to get where the, the fucking weapons are, and you don't want voter ID, but gun owner ID. Oh, really? Really? So most of Virginia primarily owned ranges would fall well under the 50 employee limit the bill lays out, so why is it there at all? This is why. The NRA operates a first-rate indoor shooting range in its Fairfax headquarters. As the NRA website describes it, the 50-yard wheelchair-accessible NRA is open to all NRA members and general public, featuring 50 shoot, 15 shooting booths. The NRA range has ample routes for pistol, rifle, and shotgun shooting. The automatic target retrieval system can place targets all the way out to 150. The revolutionary back system will allow up to 460 Weatherby and 500... .500 caliber Smith & Wesson steel core ammunition and black powder firearms. Shooters must provide their own firearms. The NRA range is open for recreational shooting as used for the NRA firearm training courses. And what they're trying to do is what Colorado did with Magpul, move them out of the state. <clears throat> Finally, Virginia Supreme Court banned his last minute you can't have weapons because it was unconstitutional, it's not in their law, and he doesn't have the right to do it. So watch for Anifa to fuck something up today. It's going to happen. Then that has been Eminem came out and released a new anti-gun song. It was dogged by everybody, but at the end he's using stuff from the Las Vegas shooting. And everybody thought, wow. Excerpts on mass shootings say one of the best ways to prevent future tragedy is enacting stronger gun laws. The hope that Eminem fan demographic of angry and white men, i.e. potential mass shooters, can be reached. His confrontational style combined with his appeal to demographic that is not stereotypically super woke does make him uniquely positioned to have an impact. Who is more super woke? Black people or white chai-sipping latte millennial boys? Anybody out there? Yeah. I'm not playing a song. Let's get into PPFA because once again we're attacking the NRA. They spend so they own politicians. Listen to this soundbite. There's so much at stake here if you are an abortion rights activist. I mean, last year you saw an unprecedented number of abortion restrictions and bans across the country. You know, this isn't just the South and Midwest we're talking about. There, I think it was 38 different states introduced at least some of these restrictions. So they're really leaving no stone unturned. Every single state they're looking at and how can they either, you know, find candidates that are less hostile towards abortion rights, or in some cases, finding candidates that are particularly um, open to reproductive health. Mm. So, for example, I spoke to a, um, a volunteer activist in Colorado, and she was telling me that Colorado, their Planned Parenthood affiliates there, see patients from 38 different states. Wow. That's ridiculous. Stunning, right? Wow, yeah. And so her kind of 
strategy for 2020 is making sure that Colorado is best positioned politically to maintain its, you know, status quo of being something of an abortion haven for all of these patients that you're seeing from all over the country coming here. And Colorado is not unique by any means. You're seeing that happen in Illinois. Mm-hmm. You're seeing it happen in New York. So it's kind of where can we keep the ground that we've had mm-hmm. and how can we stop losing ground in these other states? Can we- $45 million on one election. I'm not going to rant. I'll just read a tweet. If they have $45 million to spend on Democrats, why are our tax dollars going to them? Wait, so they don't need every penny for cancer screening? The money Planned Parenthood got from the government is just laundering scheme for the Democrats. They actually had a campaign. Every penny helps scan it. Every penny you give helps us with cancer screening. But you're going to hand $45 fucking million over. What the fuck? The NRA? Ten? This is just one election. Every election, it's 20 to $45 million. Every! Then you have this boon bat, black feminist, blue check, talk to my five-year-old niece about my work and abortion in an age-appropriate way. She understands that kids are a handful and sometimes people don't want to be pregnant. She gets it because it's quite simple. Anti-abortion folks are super upset about this. My mother had an abortion before her life is made possible because of abortion. Why is it indoctrination to talk to a kid about how pregnancy happens and families are made, but not to shout at people outside of a clinic? Her mother's very open with her and how babies are made. The accurate words describe her body and what I do for work in in an age-appropriate way. It's okay to talk to kids about sex, consent, and that they are in control of their bodies. Small child, let me explain. Kids are a handful, and sometimes we have to get rid of them because they're a handful. Any questions? Any questions? Tell a five-year-old that not only are lives expendable, but her own life was expendable if she had been too much of a handful. <laughs> yeah, that's our liberal shit right there. Brain fucking washing. But it spills over to our funny shit. I couldn't help it, but this article just tickled me. Me and my wife laughed about this. Pornhub sued. You make it too hard for deaf people to enjoy. No fucking shit. Pornhub VB Corey Prince tells TMZ, we understand that Yaroslav Suris is suing Pornhub for claiming we've denied the deaf and hearing impaired access to our videos. While we do not generally comment on active lawsuits, we'd like to make this opportunity to pinpoint out that we do have closed captioning. Pornhub has shut one man out of enjoying his favorite naked vids to the full potential and violating federal law in the process, so he filed a class action lawsuit. Yaroslav Suriz is suing the popular porn site, claiming it denied the deaf and hearing impaired access to its videos that others can easily enjoy. According to the doc obtained by TMZ, Suriz says a lack of closed captioning violates their rights under the Americans with Disability Act. In docs, Suris said the deaf and hearing impaired can't understand the audio portions of the video on the website. Here, I'll do it for you. Fuck me! Stick it in my ass! Ah! I mean, what the fuck? It's porn! Not to be vulgar, but what are you missing? Ooh and ahs? Some of the titles Suris said he watched but was completely lost in the dialogue. Hot Step Aunt Babysit Disobedient Nephew. Incest. Nice. Sexy Cop Gets Witness to Talk. Daddy 4K. Allison comes to talk about money to her boys. Naughty father. What's more, Suriz says he and those in the similar situation could shell out dough for Pornhub premium subscription, but call it pointless without closed captioning. Somebody sums it up. 
He's suing to get Pornhub to be inclusive and add closed captioning plus damages. We've reached our Pornhub for comment. So far, no word back. And that is the epitome of liberalism. Now we're suing because, we, you know, they're, they're ableist with their porn videos. Are you fucking shitting me? You know, back when I was a kid, you didn't rant about watching porn and j- shaking hands with the sheriff, all right? You didn't talk about that stuff to people. That's what the social media has done. People have no modesty anymore. I can't jerk my gherkin because I can't read what they're saying. You're missing the point. Completely missing the point of porn. It's If you're looking for drama and dialogue, wow, dude. What the fuck happened to you? Naked Philanthropist is back. I'm sending nudes to every person who donates at least $10 to any one of these fundraisers for the earthquakes in Puerto Rico. You must post your donation confirmation in the comment below. Let's help save Puerto Rico by showing off my JJ. Yeah. And then we have this, this article that's just fucking horrible, but it shows what's happening in New York. Because of these new laws where you fucking beat Jewish people, but you're black, so you get fucking free debit cards and a burner phone. Pimp kept dead girlfriend's head in the freezer gets light prison sentence. He got eight years for hacking up his girlfriend. Oh, wait a minute. His prostitute and freezing her melon. Article didn't say what the rest of her body was. It was dumped in a trash, Bronx trash dump. Yeah. He went by Sugar Bear. Yeah. Start skiing Hutch up in this bitch. Then I, I, I don't get a lot of these. I'd love to start a new segment on it because I gotta be quite honest. We need a segment on fucking liberal dickheads. Just fucking dickheads who need their asses kicked. Not that I'm promoting violence. But this guy needs violence to befall him. I'm just saying. David Levitt. Attacking a target person. This girl's probably 25 years old. She's a shift leader. She's not the manager. This is horrible. This target manager, Tori, is not honoring the price of their items per Massachusetts law. Item pricing, accuracy, unit pricing. He took a picture of the toothbrush, screen printed a picture of the law, and put her out and made her viral. But gladly and happily, it didn't work out the way he thought it was. I just had to call the police because Target refused to sell me the toothbrush. This is a blue check liberal. I did not call 911. I called the business number for the police and told them it was not an emergency and that they could take their time and explain the situation. The police verified Target displayed the price of the toothbrush for 0.01 cents. The store manager, Tori, refused to sell me the toothbrush for displayed price. Police said I need to sue them and that they are making me a verified report to take to court. The BBB connection. No, I can't believe I had to actually call the police because the manager wouldn't honor the price. I'm still shaking. The police officer verified the price taken, told me I could take them to court and that she'd be a witness. Corporations like Target are not above the law. The police officer told me they'd testify that they saw the price and that the manager wouldn't sell them the item for the price listed. I have not been able to afford to go to a dentist in over three years. So yes, I want a good oral toothbrush. and was thrilled to see such an amazing price on Oral-B, but Target refused to honor it. And now I have to take them to court and have you checked out price waiter yet? 
You make free bids. I just scored an Xbox Metro Video Game Bundle for four fifty three, the lowest Xbox price on the internet. Fifty dollars cheaper than Best Buy. That was his next tweet. But you're bitching about a fucking toothbrush. So the world piled this guy. It became a Twitter moment, which really surprised me that Twitter did this. But it's she's a female, but she's white. Maybe she's gay. I didn't look it up. It had to be a reason on the intersectionality fucking tort board for her to fucking get some love from Twitter. Carpe Duncum. I've started a GoFundMe to send Tori on vacation. Anyone has to deal with the twerp definitely deserves it. I'll start with 50 bucks. Hey, David Levin, do you have any more information on Tori? I need to get in contact with her about the money we have raised for her. Any information you could provide would be greatly appreciated. Update. After calling 15 different targets in Massachusetts, I think I've tracked down the store and the employee she has left for the day. I've given my contact information to her HR department and I'm waiting for a call back. Now, it was a huge number as of yesterday. As of today, with a great picture of her saying, I have a contact with Tori. She has received an authorization release, two photos to verify that we are in contact. I need a representative from GoFundMe to contact me to arrange the transfer. She smiled and did a picture saying thank you. Alright. For the money. And it went up some more. She made thirty thousand two hundred and five bucks. One hundred or one thousand eight hundred donations. Nice girl. He is a fucking douche. And this is what's wrong with liberals. They're allowed to do stuff. If a conservative Christian had done this, something about a Bible or something, it's on like Donkey Kong. Oh my God, we'd be doxing him, K-File, CNN would cover it. This guy is a fucking dick. So, as we go out to lighter fare, we're going to hear a soundbite first. Anti-man spread. This came up again. I gotta play it. This lady invented the chair and it's not working and she's upset about it. And then you're gonna hear Matt Best, 11X, given to me by Matt in Oregon. And it goes well with this podcast, at least the way we ended it. Things that gun owners never say. I would never want an unfair advantage against a criminal. (laughs) Stupid. This gun is pretty. Mr. Criminal, the cops are going to be here in 20 minutes and you're in big trouble. I'm going to move to California. Mm. You should really need a permit to buy ammo. A well-armed civilian is not needed, ever. I need something like this, but in a bolt action. Magazine clips. Yeah. I have way too many guns. Virginia's about ready to get a whole lot safer, buddy. 30 rounds really is too many. I don't care about reliability at all. I just want my guns to look pretty. Honey! I really need to get rid of some of this stuff. You know what this country needs? A gum buyback program. Yes. My wife won't care I refinance the house. This one's great, but can I get it with a bullet button? When you think about it, 9145 are pretty much the same thing. Our government will always keep us safe. I actually enjoy waiting nine months for a suppressor. And two people training is a militia. Absolutely. 
I really wish Beta wouldn't have dropped out. We needed a Beta in the executive office. I agree, and I wanted him to take my AR. Absolutely. I hate this thing. Ugh. I think it's more than fair that anti-gun politicians can have an armed security force. I agree with it. Definitely not hypocritical. No. Definitely not. Thanks for that one, Matt. And I got two more articles. We'll close this pig out. Number one, Lindsay McColeman. I don't know where she's from, but she's a reporter. Well, friends, this is what came in the mail. Going to need some something else, please. Her license plate from, where is it from? Minnesota. DCK247. Dick247. <laughs> And finally, I was supposed to be talking about my Packers now, but I talked on the front end of Part A. I'll do something positive. The Oregon 2020 football schedule has been released. It's a tough one. North Dakota State, they just won the FCS championship. Ohio State's the second game. We're losing the second. I hope we win the first. September 19th, Hawaii, Colorado, Washington at home, California at home, Stanford on the road, Arizona at home, USC at home, Arizona State at home, at Washington State, and at Oregon State. And if we make it that far, December 4th, Pac-12 title game. The call is right now, it's supposed to be Arizona State and Oregon for all the marbles next year. So we'll see if that works out. Herm Edwards is definitely changing it, and they have a good quarterback, and we don't even have one. So... This wraps up another double episode of Five for Politics Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends. Send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOP Podcast, gmail.com. Get the show on SoundCloud, Pocket Static, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Remember, check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and our Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Our next podcast is going to be uh, Friday. 24 January, year of our Lord, 2020. It'll probably just be a short one-off, not a double like this. I just kind of had, I was in the mood to do a long podcast and put out way too much information. It kind of gets lost in the sauce. Next one, I'll just pare that sucker down. And then uh, the next podcast, of that'll be Tuesday, Crack Day, the 28th. Uh, go to my crack dealer, come home, do a podcast. As I say, it's my favorite one because I'm wide awake. I'm not freezing in the basement. And I can knock it out. Doing some fish in the next couple days. Spending some time with the family. Make sure you also do the same. Disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yes. And tune back in Friday for another show. As always, thanks for listening. And take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at Fop Podcast. And Twitter account at Fop Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Makes every day count. I'm the sun and the air. All the shyness that is criminally broken.